We all know that cars mean traffic, errands, and budgets. But they should also represent freedom and fun. Join us as we work to find everyone a car they'll love. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. We are back. You may have been wondering, mm-hmm. wait a minute, didn't Friday go by? Wasn't Podcast 350 supposed to happen yeah. already? You may be asking these questions. In fact, you're probably, if you're listening, you're in one of two groups, I just realized. You either have seen our social media and you know what happened, or you have no idea where the heck we were. Yeah, guys, we are recording remotely because I am actually still in Washington after we came mm-hmm. up here to shoot some cars from one yep. of our sponsors, Grio's Garage. And that was Thursday through Saturday, and we we were supposed to post that 350 podcast on Friday, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. we were not able to because um, <laughs> that, that is the subtle way to put that. That is the <laughs> the no big deal way to put it. Because what happened is we went to dinner Thursday night. Okay, I should actually set the scene better than that. We flew in first thing. Yeah, Thursday there we morning. go. Yeah, yeah. And we shot all day. Now, keep in mind, Paul is staying for another few days for Thanksgiving. So he's brought more than just shoot gear. We brought all our shoot gear because we're shooting an episode of TV. Right. Plus Chance and I's gear to be in town for three-ish days. Okay? So we have – I'm just going to tally this real quick. I have a duffel. Chance has a has a carry-on-sized rollabout thing. You have a carry-on-sized rollabout thing of clothes. You also have a large duffel. You also have – we both have Pelican cases of gear. We have a separate monster Pelican case of hard gear, and there's gear in every one of our uh, duffels. And we each have a backpack, which each has an external <laughs> right. drive and a laptop in it. So right. if, you, if you laid them all out, it's probably eight pieces of luggage for three guys. A lot of gear, three laptops, all our cameras, four mm-hmm. GoPros, all of this stuff. Yeah, back So drives. we end up shooting. We, we go straight from the airport to shoot location. We shoot all day. So, of course, we haven't been to the hotel. All, every, all of our personal stuff is in, the, is in the van. We put all our gear in the van. We go to dinner. If you don't know the story already, you're probably seeing what's about to happen. Yeah, we come so, out um, from dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And the Turo van that we rented, the Toyota Sienna, no longer has a passenger sliding door window, and the entire van has been wiped out, picked clean, all our stuff is gone. Yeah, this hit me pretty hard. I know it hit all of us. It just I I was just blasted by this because we came back to the van and Chance said, Wow guys, there's a lot of glass everywhere and we kinda looked back like, huh, you know, somebody broke a bottle or something on the street thinking that and I looked back mm-hmm. and the van was cleared out and the right mm-hmm. side passenger window was smashed clean. The glass was all over the inside of the car. And like Todd said, we had come back from the shoot, going straight to dinner and then straight to the hotel mm-hmm. after that to pretty much dump footage, go to bed, you know, get up the next yeah, morning. Totally. We and had a shoot the next day. We're, we're in shoot mode. We're talking things through. We're talking how the day went. You know, we just needed food and then needed sleep, that kind of thing, in that order. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. looking back, and then it, it just slowly, bit by bit, settled into us going Oh, my gosh. Wait well, just a minute. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind a couple of things. Everything we shot on Thursday was still on the cards in the cameras. Now, if, if there's some of you – look, this is one of those situations where uh, armchair quarterbacking happens. I get it. There's a million other ways we could have tackled this. But the truth is, as you may have already gleaned, there was way too much stuff for us to pull out of the van and haul into a restaurant. And I've kicked it, myself yeah, already enough for not no, realizing but, but we, we, and should have, would have, anybody would have – we never would have taken yeah. – nobody in their right mind would have cleared out the van to go into the restaurant. Well, we I've, had no idea. I've even thought, well, just we take your backpack. Or just take that, and I've, I've kicked myself yeah, a lot. Theoretically, theoretically, but the better thing is, you know, don't rob stuff out of somebody's van. But anyway, Ideally, uh, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. That'd be the way to go. But ultimately, here's the story. All, and I do mean all, all of the gear we used to produce the TV show was all in the van and is now all gone. All of us have laptops where we are each cutting separate things related to the Corvette film. That work is now gone. By the way, the Corvette footage we have, it's just the work we had with us, gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Chance had all of his stills from the Corvette shoot on a drive that he bar- brought to add to. It's his everyday driver external drive. Yep. That's yep. gone. And you had an external drive of personal stuff and everyday driver stuff. I had, I had three two external, drives. external drives with me. 
I mean, right, like you family were taking photos. Family. It was yeah, going to be yeah, sort yeah. of a file oh, photo download with the family and just get some, That's you know, worst. get all the photos organized. And so I took all the backups Ugh. of our podcast as well. So the last year of podcasts mm-hmm. that are on Podcast One and on iTunes, those are intact <laughs> because they've been uploaded to this giant cool thing called yeah. the cloud. But the backups, I don't have anymore. So I don't have those original copies, which is horrifying to me. Podcast edits. Yeah, Yeah, I know. The edits and the original recordings. So I don't have that anymore. And everything that was on our laptops. Laptops are expensive, by the way. These MacBooks, are Mm -hmm. they they don't give them away. So yeah, Yeah, they're just painful with a lot of personal stuff on there. You had writing. You mentioned to me you had, Mm -hmm. you know, just various writing of scripts or books that you were, you know, thinking about. You had I mean, a, a lot Lancer interview. I had a Biting Cars yeah. interview still from Pebble Beach mm-hmm. that I had done. Gone. It's yeah, yeah. It's horrifying, and, I mean, and the magnitude is still gutting to me. Even though we're at this point, we're resolute, we're strong, we're coming back. But you guys need to know this story just so you know where we're coming from, and that's why Podcast Three Fifty totally. didn't drop. I edited it on the airplane. It sounded great. We were funny. Well, see, yeah, that's, it was going to be awesome. That's the key thing. That's the key thing is that 350 was ready to upload. Yeah. Part of our Thursday night when we left the restaurant was go back to the hotel and upload 350. But 350 only existed on your external drive mm-hmm. and it's now gone. So here we are. Yep. By the way, welcome to Podcast 350 and happy Tuesday. <laughs> we're going to redo the All Questions podcast right now this evening here in a minute. But I want to kind of land the plane on what happened with this whole robbery thing. I, I can't overestimate the cost of the gear. I mean, look, the gear is stuff that can be replaced, mm-hmm. but my God, it's expensive. Luckily, yes, for those of you wondering, yes, we do have production insurance that we carry for the show. But two things you have to keep in mind. One, that has a deductible. Yeah. And two, yeah. there's stuff it will not cover. There's just peripheral stuff that just, it's like that doesn't get covered, but the big stuff does. If I had to guess, and I, ha- I don't have, look, we're still compiling the full tally a few days later. It's going to be between fifteen dollars and $20,000 worth of gear that was gone. They stole clothes and shoes and my entire suitcase. And then we looked at but, each but other I'm and realized just, the things that are on your body, the clothes that are on your body is all you have right now. That's it. That's all we wore for three days. And our phones now, I, and our I wallets. I was wearing that for three days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so it's. Pro- but forget, forget. Honestly, forget clothing and that kind of stuff for a minute. It was the better part of twenty thousand dollars worth of gear. Yeah, absolutely. Production gear. I mean, okay? I so, would have let the gear go if we could just have those chips off the cameras, the SD cards, all the, the data, GoPros, all the data. I just want great. the data back. I don't mm-hmm. care about. Yeah. stuff can be replaced. It's all replaceable. Yeah. It's all fine. It's just stuff, right? Nothing money can't yeah, solve, as my dad always says. True. But but see, but this data. is the thing. Is obviously, there's lots of money involved yeah. to get us back to yeah. a place where we're up and running. But you guys listening, I, I, I can't overstate how shocking and humbling this was. And my wife put it best because I called her and she was as shocked as we were. But my wife put it best. She said, you have a moment like we had where you see the worst of humanity and it impacts you. But then... 24 hours later, maybe 12 hours later, we encountered what I would describe as the best of humanity, and that's you guys. Yeah, because for sure. Because sure. when I posted to social media that we'd been robbed, it was for no reason other than to let you guys know, by the way, it's Friday morning, you're waking up to a podcast, and there isn't one. Why isn't there one? Here's why. That was the entire reason I posted. And you guys listening picked up that idea and kind of called out for a GoFundMe page, something that I hadn't even thought of, honestly. I've never even used GoFundMe, so it was, it was, I was like, what? This is astounding. I mean, I'm aware yeah. of it, but yeah. so then Derek, who's one of our patrons and a longtime listener, thank you, man. Derek and two or three others, I mean, honestly, our email box Friday morning was multiple of you, you don't even realize this, guys, multiple of you going, can I set up a GoFundMe page? Yeah, And the only person cool. that didn't yeah. ask first, and I don't mean this to be tacky, but the only person that didn't ask first was Derek, who went and did it. And just said, here it is. Here it is. Close it if you don't want it. But by the time he'd set it up, it was already getting some traction. The the truth is, guys, that GoFundMe page has floored us. Your generosity, your support of the show has floored us. That is going to be the deductibles and the extras. And if – Well, yeah, continue. Keep going. Well, if if for some reason – I mean, this would be a nice world, isn't it? If for some reason our insurance and the GoFundMe page results in more money – then we needed to replace our gear. Guess where that goes? That goes into making more show. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So so you guys, I, I cannot thank you enough for that. Uh, very, I, I just That was a left turn I didn't expect, but it's going to be hugely helpful. It's already been helpful. 
If you are interested in the GoFundMe page, it's on all our social media. I will put a link on our website if you're curious. If you want to be generous and support the show in that regard, I am humbled by it. Thank you. I'm, I'm floored by it as well. Thank you, guys. I uh, had mentioned to Todd, you know, with all the California wildfires going on, and I said, you know what, mm-hmm, this is, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't just lose our homes. I mean, there's people who have been devastated by these wildfires. Yeah, They've lost yeah, yeah. everything. We didn't lose everything, but we mm-hmm. lost a big chunk of our livelihood, and we lost a big chunk of editing and, you know, the, the things that we're sharing with you guys and the season four yeah, editing yeah. and all this stuff. We didn't lose season four or the Corvette film. It just was a setback in terms of editing and pulling mm-hmm. selects and all that prep work as well as the podcast and the archives. <laughs> so yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was a big blow, I'll be honest. And like I said, it hit me pretty hard, but we realized over the course of the evening as we were stumbling around, you know, thinking, well I, I need socks and underwear for tomorrow. We we need to go buy Toothbrush, toothbrushes yeah. and toothpaste yep, and yep. all those things. Mm-hmm. It just it resets mm-hmm. you. And we realized that we needed to keep going. We couldn't just mm-hmm. take this blow mm-hmm. and just be done with the weekend. And so we had let our friends at Grio's Garage know. We had let Nick know and a bunch of people there. And we realized that we needed to be resolute, resolute about the show and filming yep. that completely, episode. Completely. And so we leaned on them and said, hey, we don't have the gear. But they did. We got a couple new mm-hmm. GoPros. We had all the gear at our disposal because they do have a photography and video production department, and they mm-hmm. let us use all their gear. And so it's very different gear. We we shot around. You know, we were going to pull three cars, but we just ended up pulling two. But it's still, I'm really proud of what mm-hmm. we did, and I'm proud to share that with you. So there will be uh, yeah. the drama intermixed yeah. in this episode uh, from Grios, but they just came to our rescue. They helped us out tremendously. Mm-hmm. Huge thanks to everybody there. We're just hugely so hugely thrilled so. by I mean, all you this. May, completely, you may remember. You know, Nick Grio was actually on the podcast a while back, so he right. was still our our contact there. Oh, but he we just pulled, a pulled of cars through. From there. He was yeah, working yeah, yeah. so then, hard. He was pulling batteries out of cars. He was <laughs> totally. working on you know the Jag wouldn't charge, and you know we did have yeah. our um, <clears throat> British car experience, but he was working his tail of off yeah. and just. But then they rushing to get this film done for us. Yeah. Then they had Matt, their videographer, and John, their dedicated stills guys. And we just I, I literally stood Friday morning. I stood in their office and I said, tell me what gear you have. And they started running down the list. And I, I, saw, I it, was like, it was like I was sitting there with a menu. I started going, I'll take that camera <laughs> right. and that lens. And no, that doesn't work for me. But how about this instead of that? And we built the gear we needed to keep shooting. Now, again, it wasn't our gear that we were comfortable with, but I was like, that'll work, and that lens fine. And, I mean, we did that for like a half hour of just gear selection. And then we went out Friday, like mid-morning, and we started again. Yeah. And we shot all day we Friday. started over. And we shot, yeah. <laughs> Although we were faster we because s- everything we had done the, the prior day, we knew the setup. <laughs> the we knew exactly through. where to go. It was like practice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it the thing terrible. you do the second or third time, it goes yeah, a lot exactly. faster. So we were able to we actually so kind of catch up, which was crazy to me. Yeah. And then so we yeah. shot all day Friday. We shot until Chance and I had to dash for the airport on Saturday. I mean, we literally <laughs> shot until Chance and I were 10 or 15 minutes past when I knew we needed to leave. And we jumped in our broken van and drove it back to the airport to hand it back to the owner who, at this point, of course, obviously we've kept him informed. He's he been very just, gracious through this whole thing. Great. He was candidly disappointed that that had happened in his city. That was the thing that, that I just – the overwhelming mm-hmm. demeanor from him was just, I'm apologizing on behalf of Seattle-Tacoma. And he could have been – look, I mean, not that it was our fault, of course, but he could have been difficult about it. He could have. He, he would have had that choice. And he, he had been. that ground to stand on, too. You Absolutely. take my van Absolutely. and you give it back to me like this? What on earth, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we'd cleaned it out and done the best we could. I mean, obviously, there was glass everywhere, and that was now gone. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I delivered him back a van without a side window and trash bags covering up for the rain, you know? And his demeanor, Mahook, man, big shout-out to you. His demeanor was just, guys, I'm sorry. So Which was really huge. cool. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, so we pulled off the shoot. I'm so glad you guys made your flight. And then I was still driving mm-hmm. around doing my last interview in the car. And... <laughs> <laughs> Finally turned the car back in, and that was that. That wrapped up Saturday, and I just, mm-hmm. I was just, 
steamrolled. I was steamrolled yeah. emotionally. I was frazzled, yeah. but we still pulled it off because we came back to mm-hmm. focus on the driving. And it was honestly the part of the shoot that struck me the most. And I, I haven't told you this. It was despite all the storm going around us, we mm-hmm. still focused mm-hmm. on the fun and pleasure of driving and still able to extract yeah. that and focus on it and share that. And I, I'm really excited and confident in this film. It's I'm not excited edited by yet, the footage that we got. No, <laughs> yeah, of course not. The footage there, is there are many astounding. things that are yet to be edited. <laughs> well, that, but that's the other thing about it. Is, you know, you, you mentioned that, and, and I kept thinking about how the weekend was a weekend of extremes yeah. because yeah. we haven't had a blow in production on this show like that ever. Nothing of that magnitude. I mean, we've lost an but interview then, or two, or the audio hasn't yeah. been turned on, or you know, oh, sure, little sure, things sure, like that. But yeah, nothing of this. Of course. I mean, personal like. Yeah, and again, I know yeah. stuff can be replaced, but I'm still, I'm still remembering and thinking of things like, oh yeah, that was in my bag too, right? I'll never oh, yeah, see yeah. that again. Oh, I gotta go get another one. Weeks. Like totally name agree. the thing, and mm-hmm. I'm still thinking yeah. of things. It's crazy. That's happening to me as well. <laughs> but but I did have the the counter experience where the Jaguar E Type, which you guys have heard me talk about on this this podcast, as something that's been like the car I've always wanted to drive because my dad had one. Well, I drove one briefly about two months ago for the first time, and now we were in an E Type Speedster, which is kind of a middle ground between a standard E Type and the Eagle. E-type speedster that I talk about as the singer of E-types that mm-hmm. cost a half million dollars. Think of, some, think of somewhere like the middle ground. I was in kind of that car for this shoot, and we'll explain why. But I had a moment driving along in that car where I had a break in traffic, and I put my foot on it, and I got my daily triple in an E-type speedster, and I just thought, this is one of the best moments ever. Mm. And how mm. much of an extreme between what we were experiencing from a production difficulty standpoint <laughs> yeah. and what we were experiencing from a personal driving standpoint, we couldn't have done more opposite end bookends. And we were having both in the same, you know, five, six hour period. It was crazy, but really cool. So I think that was the guys, emotional you know, extremes, the swing, the pendulum yeah, back completely. and forth. Oh, from, completely. Oh, my gosh, this happened. We have to go deal with everything. I mean, my checkbook was in my backpack and house keys and car keys and gone to this well, extreme driving yeah. pleasure. It was unbelievable. You're right. I don't know if you heard heard him say this, but of course Chance was with us, and Chance lost a bunch of gear that, yeah. that's getting replaced as well. I mean, it's all here. I mean, Chance got Chance. Here's the thing you need to know: Chance has done some well-paying, high-profile still photography gigs outside of Everyday Driver. Mm-hmm. He yeah. works with his camera. That is his weapon of choice. That is that's how he makes a living. Okay. Uh, so well, well beyond just us. So his camera's gone. You know, and he, he looked <laughs> yeah. at me at one point because you go back to our discussion of the Corvette shoot all the way to now. He looked at me at one point and he went, what is up with this quarter? <laughs> what is going on with this quarter of the year? I know. He said, can, we, know. can we be done with this quarter, please? So happy Thanksgiving in advance. We're looking forward to a fantastic holiday at a reset for 2019. <laughs> Let's do some questions. I agree. This is the second time around for us, but the first time for you guys. And we remember a lot of the questions that we answered. We're going to have fun with it again. Yeah, for and sure. And I am for diving sure. straight into Facebook here from J.P. Dunphy. Love it. Asking me what I think of the Veloster and Civic Type R from a design standpoint is an understated yet arrow effective car less thrilling than a car that is blatantly performance oriented like the type r well i Mm. brought up japan and you and i talked about tokyo and japan in general and the styling that works Mm -hmm. there because of just think of anything all the gundam characters and the anime and all the crazy stuff that is part of the japanese culture they make little minivans look like transformers they look like sure, the yeah. sleekest, yeah, yeah. the robots, and it's a minivan. It's a box. How can you possibly do this? And yet they still do. And so actually a Civic Type R in Tokyo looks kind of bland. It really does, strangely. <laughs> it blends. It blends. <laughs> but yeah, what fair I've, point. What I've found with Hyundai and Kia in general, keep in mind that Peter Schreier has now stepped down. He took Kia in a new direction stylistically. He came from Audi. Mm-hmm. So think of the mm-hmm. restrained, subtle lines that Audis represent. And then now Luke Donkervolka, he is now the head design, uh, head designer there. And so he's coming from a little bit, you know, of English style, Bentley, a little bit of Lamborghini, Italian flair. And so with Hyundai styling, it's much more restrained than Honda is, certainly, at least, at least for the Civic Type R. So mm-hmm. understated arrow, well... It's uh, it's not necessarily less thrilling, I, I would say, but, you know, 
I like the understated part. I've always liked the understated thing, but especially the Civic Type R has pushed me over the edge. But from a design standpoint, <laughs> I like cars that are actually speaking to their capabilities. And we've all mm, seen okay. the, you know, right. the ricers and that kind of thing where it's so beyond that, okay, that, that wing isn't, it's actually upside down. So you're lifting the rear wheels off the ground the faster you go. Or, you know, we all notice <laughs> funny stuff like that, right? But I, I yeah. like cars that actually are either on par with their capabilities as far as looks or they're a little bit subtle. But I think both car companies are pretty right on as far as their design ethos and their design philosophies. Mm, mm. They're, they're kind of okay. right in there. Hyundai's in the, you know, bringing the Mazda speed thing back that we don't get anymore. And they're yeah. subtle, but the, the tweaks are kind of noticeable to all of us enthusiasts. Whereas the Civic Type R is just sort of blam, you know, in your face. But yeah. again, in Tokyo, it looks like, huh, what is that boring looking thing over there? Because look at this minivan. <laughs> It just blends in. <laughs> well, this is the same culture where the guys have the neon inside the uh, the Countach doors of their Lamborghinis, and they this drive is true. down the you know they drive down the street with the Lambo doors and their feet out. You know, it's it, this is this is the world. So this is I true. Get it. Okay, it's not our world. Uh, there are two questions that actually relate that I want to start with. Uh, one came to us via email from Isaac, another one came to us via Facebook from Alex, both relating to steering feel. Mm, Isaac's yeah. question is. Does bad steering feel translate to bad handling? Or to put it another way, if a car has electric steering, does it mean it handles badly? And then Alex asking the question, can we explain steering feel? Because he doesn't feel like he knows anything about it or has ever really felt it. And is it important? Mm -hmm. I feel like those mm -hmm. relate wonderfully. So let me speak to steering feel real quick, guys. Uh, think of steering feel like one of your five senses in the car. If you wipe away your five senses, I'll put it to you this way. If you go to a really good dinner and you have a cold, you can still enjoy that dinner. Uh, you, you'll still enjoy the fact that it was a good dinner. But if you didn't have a cold, you weren't congested, it would be that much better. This is having a world of steering feel or no steering feel. First off, Isaac, if a car does not have good steering feel, it can absolutely handle wonderfully. It's still possible, okay? There are plenty of cars with no information coming through the steering, but they sure stick to the road. And wow, it, it handles really flat. That definitely exists. That absolutely exists. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you have a bunch of steering information, it's like opening up a new sense to you. Mm. So back to That's Alex's good. question. That's good. I like that. When, 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 you're, when you're cornering, okay, and if you have no steering feel, you can feel the car sliding through your butt. You can feel with your, your personal, like, spatial awareness of your head and your balance. You can feel what the car is doing. You have all those sensations without the steering feel. But with the steering feel, you can feel, when it's good, you can feel the grip in the wheel. Look, this is the reason I own the Lotus, okay? Because there is no better just full-on steering feel. And that's the thing that makes that car so magical, honestly. Yeah, but yeah, I see if that. If I ignore the steering feel, the Lotus still feels light and agile even without the steering feel information. But the steering feel is just this constant kind of rumble of info that is, is kind of like what your sense of smell adds to your sense of taste, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. So I think it is important. And Alex, I, I really rec I recommend to you, you get in some cars that are known for their steering feel just to get a sense of when the wheel has vibration that was generated by the tires, especially a lot of electric steering now, that's not where that any of that comes from. That it's being created artificially, and you don't feel the granular. Sorry, I don't know another way to put it. The granular nature of what the tires are doing. When you feel that, you may not like it. Honestly, I'm not, I, I will admit it's not for everybody. But once you get that, you go, oh, oh, I see. This is what this is now, and maybe you'll want it. But you cannot have it and still have a good handling car. No, interesting. I, I like that uh, that analogy that you were using. I'm moving to Michael D's question here on Facebook. Michael, you have okay. no idea how long we have debated this before we finally are getting it out, the answer, and talking about your question here. He writes to us and says, <laughs> I really and truly don't understand how a modern family survives without a truck or a full-size SUV. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw this. <laughs> he says, not everyone needs one, but everyone needs access to one. Yet our podcast seems to actively work around recommending them. So here's the question. How many times a year mm. should a person be expected to rent a vehicle before you're justified in just going ahead and buying one? Hmm. Michael? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how are you going to handle this, sir? <laughs> I'm going to start with Europe. 
I'm going to start with oh, the okay. Volkswagen Great. Golf Caddy. And this is a model that we do not get in North America or the States. All right, all right. It's yeah. a slightly enlarged golf. It's like a puffy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. slightly overweight golf. And this serves as sort of a family wagon for most families in Europe because they don't have the size for an expedition. Now, I mm-hmm, am mm-hmm. pointing all the fingers at me because I own an expedition. It was an inherited vehicle yeah. Yeah, and yeah. mainly for sentimental reasons. But do I need it? No, it is enormous. Everybody who ever drives it or rides in it is astounded <laughs> by the space and yeah, the luxury. It's and you slide around. You, it's like uh, first class. Have you ever been, mm. you know, flying on first That's class? That's a good description. And you yeah, think, yeah, yeah. ooh, because back in the exit row, I've got the length, but I don't have the width. So think about back to Europe here. There's so many families that do have more than one kid. And they've mm-hmm. got it all handled. Somehow, magically, mm-hmm. they figured out how to truck all their kids' stuff around, <laughs> get them to school, to everything, yeah. all their after-school yeah. activities, and yet they still don't need this giant SUV. It's like you move from your first apartment into your bigger apartment, or then into a mm-hmm. bigger condo, mm-hmm. or then into a house. And over the years, you just accumulate more stuff. You've got the space, so you just mm-hmm. fill mm-hmm. it up. It's very difficult to have the space and not fill it with either you, your feet, your stuff. You know what I mean? If you're sitting in a bigger chair, Mm -hmm. will you spread out more? If you're sitting in a smaller one, you're just kind of tucking back in and making it work. Yeah. So for the expectations of renting a vehicle, well, you know, it honestly, we'll say pickup trucks for contractors, that kind of stuff. Totally justified. That's your business. That's your job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But... Do you need it? I mean, we see so many people all around Park City, everywhere, driving Mm -hmm. big cars just because they like them. Now, it's the difference between a want and a need. You might just want that high driving position. You want the space. You want the size. You feel safer. Okay. I mean, that's the, you know, that is the choice, right? But do you need it? No. Yeah, everything you're saying, you're you're absolutely right. Everything you're saying, and, and I want to speak to it this way, Michael. Space that is accomplished by these large full SUVs is is a luxury, not a necessity. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We know, and I, and you're asking quite, and there's a, there's a sub question here where you're talking about what about Home Depot runs? What about you know the families in for sure, you know right. the, the extended families in for for the vacation or the holiday or what? I get that, but look, we one of the people that had a one of the 911s in our 50 years of 911 film. Her name was Diane. She had that early 2000s 911. She's a single mom with two kids. And the 911 was her only car. In fact, she has a different one now. Still her only car. And she's described many times about doing the school run on her 911 and then going to Home Depot and picking up mulch because she loves to garden. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a woman who never rents an SUV, Michael. So it's right back to what we're talking about here. And what do you said, uh, Paul, about Europe? Tons of families get by. This is why wagons thrive in Europe. They don't need big cars. In some right. cities, they right. can't handle big cars. And they do just fine. When you get more space, you luxuriate. And back to us, to you and me, Paul, we have done a full television shoot, and the only gear production vehicle was the Mini. It's astounding. I know. It seems crazy. And We've we used the Expedition, done- too. We've done an equivalent shoot in the Expedition right. with the same amount of gear. The difference is in the Expedition, everything has its own spot with six inches on either side. And you can just go grab that thing. In the Mini, it's like, oh, pick up that one and then that one and there's the piece of gear you need. But they both got the shoot done. So to your question, Michael, of how often before this is necessary, I think if you're renting a larger vehicle once a month, it's time to buy a larger vehicle. If you're going to Home Depot once a quarter to buy something big, you need a bigger vehicle for two hours. Rent it right. from Home Depot right. and call it, a, call it a deal. The reason they don't come up, Michael, is because <laughs> nobody needs us to be champions for the SUV. They're selling just fine. Thank you. <laughs> they're uh, they're they, selling they without us either negating the merits of the they, driving feel or you know, saying these are exactly. amazing. But nobody's buying them for the driving sensation. We're buying them for their utility, that utility word in their name. That's why we're buying them. We we like the luxury of the space. But what we hope you do is have a car that you love to drive, and the larger things get, typically the less fun they get. I know there's exceptions to every rule, but generally that's the reason we don't talk about them because we know why everybody gets them. Mm -hmm. They're selling fine. Let's (laughs) champion the other stuff. They're bigger. You want more, more space. It's the super size. Kind of thing. It's the American way. You go order 
in a fast food restaurant and you tell them that you don't want to upgrade, you want the small drink, and they'll look at you like, now uh, let me find the mm-hmm. small cups for that drink. I, I don't know where we keep yeah, those. For sure. I haven't seen those in a while. Nobody orders them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awesome. What else do you have? Rowan wrote in on Facebook, and he said, What's wrong with me? I've fitted performance tires to my SUV. I now take a longer, twisty road to work. Uh, I find the racing line through corners. I'm trail braking as much as I can. Uh, What's wrong with me? Rowan, I'm confused by your question. I don't see what's wrong. (laughs) I don't see the problem. (laughs) Actually, you know what? If you want me to unpack this, Rowan, I'll tell you what's wrong. You still have an SUV. Otherwise, welcome. Welcome to the disease. In fact, I say, back to Michael's question, can you get by without the SUV or can you buy something really little to go with your SUV and embrace the disease? Thanks for being with us here on the podcast. Awesome. Well, there's a question over here on Instagram from MeganStrong94 asking, what is the best looking car of the past 10 years? I am saying Jaguar F-Type. I am a Porsche. Oh, that's a good one. Super enthusiast, super freak. You know me. But yeah. I'm looking at the F-Type, and that car turns my head every time. The noise coming out of it, yeah, it's all part of the I experience. But, yes, I, I really think Jaguar continues to nail it. There were some That's models that I don't love, I admit, but this car is just its beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, in a, in a sim- you made me think of this. In a similar vein, I'm going to say Aston Martin Vantage, the V8 Vantage. Good. just got replaced with a Similar size, think- actually. Yes, and look, I think that the Vantage design that just got replaced, I think that is going to be one of those cars that ages like the 300ZX or the Jag E-Type, where 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the line, people are going to be like, that's a pretty car. Mm, Sure, sure. I really think so. I can see that. All right, well, uh, Uh, Adam. Yeah, what else? Did you see Adam's question? Adam's question's hard. Where was this? But I gave it some thought. Okay. This is, okay, Adam's question is kind of a list, but I broke it down, Adam. I, I, I took on the challenge of your question. With 30 grand to spend, he gives a list of cars. What buyers get recommended each of the following at 30 grand? Oh. And I read this and kind of scratched my head and went, what is this? And then I realized there's a pattern here. He's giving pairs of cars. Generally, he's giving pairs right, of cars. Right, right. So why A versus B, Okay. I'm going to try to tackle this. This is this is a bit of a challenge. I'm going to try to tackle this. Okay. So why would certain cars be recommended? Uh, the first pair is the the first gen, the 987 Cayman S. Mm. But the first half of that generation, the 987.1 that had the IMS problem, versus the second half of that generation, the 987.2, without the IMS problem, but now the base version. So the first Cayman S versus the slightly later Cayman base. You get the Cayman S because you really want a well-sorted, dedicated, two-seat sports car with usability and a luxury interior and one of the best mid-engines out there. You want all of that in a package. You buy that Cayman S, and it's brilliant. Why did you buy the point two instead? Because you want all of that, but you are still terrified of the IMS bearing. That's why. I love how you're breaking down the Porsche minutia of all the models, and <laughs> you're bringing all this knowledge. I, I love that. I find that really entertaining, actually. Without even being the Porsche guy. I have weird, dusty corners in my brain. But, you know, while we're in Porsche minutia, there is one more Porsche pair, and then the rest of Adam's list is not Porsche. He says the 996. Now, that's the, like, 99 to 04, 911. The 996 C4S versus the 997. That's the next generation, base of the next gen. Why do you get the unloved 996 over the 997, or why would we recommend one or the other? The 996, here's my answer, is because... You, as the person shopping, have always wanted a 911, but you felt like they're out of reach because you need a sports car that does everything you can imagine, plus get beat on in the winter and have kids. And, you know, what what happens? Something happens to it. It can't be precious at all. And as a result, you don't really have a, you don't have a need for a really nice interior. 996 is for you, my friend. <laughs> but why the 997 by comparison? You've always wanted a 911. You've just now got almost enough money to get one, but you need it to be reliable and you want a good modern car that's going to feel special. That's why you go 997. Wow. Bring in the Porsche love. That's, this well, is awesome. I'm trying. No, another, um, the last pair, and then I've got some stragglers. The last pair is C6 Corvettes from Adam. Why would you get a Grand Sport and why would you get a C6 Z06? The person for the Grand Sport is the person that wants a usable, cross-country capable sports car with good power and cheap maintenance. 
Okay. All right. Transport will go anywhere you want. You want to come All right. in? Great. You want to drive it cross country? Fine. You want to throw golf clubs in it? Plenty of room. Why the C6Z06 instead? You want all of everything I just mentioned, but you really want to go to the racetrack. Z06, seven liter engine, happy person. <laughs> okay? Wow. I, I'm three liking left, this. And they're all, three left, and they're all stragglers. Uh, first off, the BMW M235i for 30 grand. Why does that get recommended? Well, because somebody needs a business feeling car, they need an anonymous, Rear-wheel drive, really genuinely fun car with back seats, but it needs to be anonymous in mm. their business parking lot. Okay. Nobody All knows right. wh- how awesome that is, but they want a good, dedicated rear-wheel drive sports car, and they need more than two seats. M235i. Ooh. The last two. Why do you get? Why would we recommend an Elise to you? Because you are the rare person, kind of weird like me, who you want <laughs> the most. You've got thirty grand to spend, and for thirty grand, what is the most exotic, focused? compromised sports car you can find. All that matters is driving. A Lotus Elise is for you. And finally, why the AP2 S2000? Why would you you recommend that? Because you're a person who wants a convertible and you wish the Miata was sharper and faster. There's your list, Adam. I've tried. Holy cow. That's great. (laughs) I love it. All right, before we take an ad break here, there's a quick question from I Am Not Sean Clark asking, what is the dorkiest looking car that is currently in production? I have the answer. It is the Rolls-Royce Cullinan. Not only is it a giant hulking SUV, have you seen this thing? This is, mm-hmm. this is shameful. I actually had the chance to sit in this at Pebble Beach when I was there. And I sat in it and I just felt, what on earth? What, why am I sitting in this car? Why did I even want to sit down? What are we doing? I, I, what are we doing? I, I wanted to just get in it just for the experience, and I thought, no, I didn't. What am I doing here? <laughs> it was, um, yeah, and they're going to sell a lot of them, by the way. They're going to, of course, they are. Yeah. Build them forever, and they're going to sell a lot of them. It'll be Rolls Royce yeah. does the G Wagon, and they're going to sell them for 30 years or something. They will be all over the Middle East and Beverly Hills, and they'll probably have some in Park City, and I will laugh and point. So that's how that will work, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to be right back, guys, with so many more questions. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm sorry that we're having to do this twice. Of course, you didn't have to do it twice, but I'm, I hope you're enjoying. We have so many more questions for another half hour, at least, of podcast. But real quick, we want to cover some business. We're going to start off with Geico because everybody's got a to-do list. You've got to drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. I've got an idea for you. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. The good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you've got to do is go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket? This may just be the most rewarding to-do thing on your list today. We were also talking about Rad Power Bikes. By the way, Rad Power is based in Seattle, which is pretty cool. They are a consumer-direct electric bike company that produces five unique electric models, electric bikes. So that means they're a consumer direct brand, and that means buyers get a premium electric bike without paying the huge markups caused by dealers and third-party retailers. We've all experienced that. So they're half mm-hmm. the price of comparable bikes on the market because the dealer markups are cut out. So on top of this already awesome pricing schedule here, this Cyber Monday, November 26, 2018, Rad Power Bikes is making it even easier to get people riding. They're giving you deals on all the models of their electric bikes. And by the way, on their website, I like the mini, the, the small one. It's a fat tire. Okay. It's, it's yeah, yeah, really yeah. cool looking. I'm, I'm actually, it's the Rad Mini electric folding fat bike. It's, it's really they're cool awesome. looking. And all of their bikes have 75 watts of power in all five models, which is the most powerful e-bike motor you can get. Still has street, le- street legal status. You don't need a license, registration, insurance. None of that's required. And you can finance these bikes if you need one for your all-electric bike commute. You can get it for as low as 0% APR. Of course, I am not a credit advice person, so I can't answer that. All five models can reach 20 miles an hour without pedaling, or you can do the thing that I've actually tried, and it is cool. You can do the electric assist thing where the electric assist is accentuating the amount of pedaling you're doing. What's your preference? Riders can get between 20 and 40 miles on a single charge. If you need, this is, you know, this is that cliche. It's like the last mile that's been debated in commuting for the last few years. Sure, It's that world. But you're on a bike, and we all know how to ride a bike. By the way, it's better than a bird scooter. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) If you'd like to get one, go to radpowerbikes.com slash podcast to learn more. And don't forget to shop their Cyber Monday sale, November 26th. You can save big. 
can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. We are back with continued questions. And one of them from Zwi over on Instagram is asking me a design question, which you know is sort of like catnip. It's it's a little bit like bait. I, I can't help myself yeah, talking about design. You can't resist. You can't resist. That's true. It is his understanding that because pedestrians, well, because of pedestrians in the street, creases and edges on cars must be filleted to no sharper than a particular radius. So how do designers make these edges appear sharper than they really are? To be honest, Zee, I have not heard much of discussion in design studios about pedestrians and, well, we've got to soften the design. Now, keep in mind, designers are always talking to their engineers and talking to the people actually making the cars to incorporate their design and style and saying, all right, is, mm-hmm. is this going to cost more? That is really more of the discussion in a studio is is this particular design going to cost more because of the return on the sheet metal? Or do they have to over stamp and over bend it like four or five times? BMW bends their sheet metal, some of their parts, about five times. And they, they press it and they over bend it a little so it springs back to the right place, which is, you know, kind of the, the winemaking thing. Back to my winemaking analogies. Mm-hmm. But then we'll say GM makes, you know, just three presses. So it's, you know, a little bit more cost effective. But for pedestrians, the creases and edges, I mean, if you get hit by a car, a sharper or less sharp crease is kind of the least of your worries. That's kind of low on the list, I'd yeah. say. Thank God that car had rounded edges when it hit me at 40. <laughs> Man, I, mean, here, I got hit by idea. a beetle. Well, then you should be fine. What, why Let's are you stay out limping? Of the street. <laughs> Let's stay out of the street. I, I know that sounds insane, but I'm just going to say people. Away from cars. I, I, you know, just don't get hit. Uh, anyway, exactly. yeah. Well, the main, and also, if the you're main driving, thing, stay off your phone. That's helpful, too. Yes, anyway, please stay going. off your phone. The main thing is, to answer your question, is it's the lead-in from the surface to that mm. design feature. So the greater the lead-in, the larger puddle of light, that highlight that is all along there. Mm. And so they'll accentuate that, even though the crease or edge might not be as sharp, but they're accentuating that. It's a tricking of the eye. It's the same kind of thing where the rear door cut, usually on four-door cars, seems really aggressive and deep, and then you open the door, and the actual entrance isn't that large. It's actually Mm -hmm. the door cut is covering up the C-pillar and the fender well. And so you think, oh, well, they got a lot of style and shape out of this door, but the actual hole for me to get in the car is kind of small. Notice that next time on your cars. It's not just you know one-to-one. It's not this gigantic opening. It appears that way. But those are little I, tricks I, that designers can do. I feel a sneeze coming on. It's called Fisker Karma. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's a yeah, perfect that, that example. Is, yeah, they, that C-pillar is so deceiving. I think there might be two feet of sheet metal that carves in from the edge of the door until you finally have your seat. It, yeah, that's a tiny opening. Yeah, no kidding. All right, what do you got? Uh, Evil Tangents, that's Dale who is up in Tacoma area, and he runs our Lemons team. Um, we're glad to do that every year. But he asked, why don't we or would we ever do a car of the year review? That is, uh, look, I will admit, it is the cliched thing that every magazine and outlet does. They do their car of the year. Where would we shoot it? How would we structure it? What would be our approach? Oh, Here's sure. my problem with car of the year. And I understand, please let me, please let me, be, let me be clear. I understand why they're done the way they're done because you have to, to chop off the list somewhere. You have to sure. make parameters. Sure. But the way everybody does them as car of the year is, what are the cars, the only cars viable are ones that were released in the calendar year since the last time we did this. Right, right. So as a result, you get this weird mix of cars because they're only cars that came out in the last year. That's not something that I feel like is helpful for what we want to do. Look at our uh, Focus RS review from television. We had the Focus RS. We put it with the Evo, the STI, and the Golf R. Why? Because those are its competitors. But none of those cars came out in the same year. 
Mm. Those are the reviews that I like the best because I don't want to put a brand-new Lamborghini with a Stelvio because they came out the same year. (laughs) It's interesting because, look, they came out the same calendar year, and isn't it cool we have sports cars? But I want to put, what's the new guy? We did it with the EcoBoost Mustang, too. What's the new guy that might want your money compared to the older guys or the already known to be great guys or the cars that are now in the same budget but two years ago were twenty grand higher? Yeah, that's sure. the stuff that interests me. So, car of the year, I would almost rather like pick a market segment or two a year and tackle that market segment, highlighting it like we did with the Focus RS. What's the new boy in this market segment, and all the usual suspects? And I'd love to do like two of those a year. I'd be thrilled. But a traditional car of the year, I personally don't find all that relevant for what we do here. Hmm. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. All right, I'm looking at a question over here on Instagram. Alternator thirty three asks, is it wrong that I'm very attracted to the new Corolla IM hatchback? I long for the days of enthusiast Toyotas. On a bigger note, why doesn't Toyota develop enthusiast cars from the ground up? The GT86 is Subaru-based. The upcoming Mm -hmm. Supra is BMW-based. Well, you can kind of see the trend there. You're sort of answering the question. They're all in collaboration and partnerships. All their past performance cars shine from their engine bay because that's what Toyota is good at, certainly. And you mentioned the AE86, which, yes... I kind of bash Corollas. Well, I do bash Corollas because of what they've become, not because of the Mm -hmm. name. If they were to resurrect the car and the enthusiast driving experience around the name, Mm -hmm. bring it. I'd welcome that with open arms. I really would. It's just because of what the product planners have dumbed down the car to just be such. It's not even basic transportation. It's. It makes you hate yourself when you're driving. And with apologies to Corolla owners everywhere, yeah. you're probably listening to this in a Corolla thinking that I'm wrong. Well, I, I maintain that I agree. Toyota used to do this enthusiast thing, mm-hmm. and there was a bit of spice mm-hmm. to every model. And then they just went to super focused on being all things to everyone all around the world. And they've forgotten about their market. And I think they're climbing out of that. But from a budget standpoint, Mm. they've got to do the collaboration thing to test the market. They don't want to stick their neck out. And that is more cultural, to be honest. I've experienced that. That is a cultural thing, not a, you know, let's, let's not just go crazy sales numbers. And then the next month we've dropped off a cliff. That's not what they like. They mm, want to just mm. toe in the pool, make sure, okay, so that's successful. Okay, good. We now know that. Now we can move on. And so here's this Supra coming, and that re- represents a bit more influence from Toyota. Yes, the BMW influence is there too, but they're continuing to do it on a bigger and bigger scale. I hope they continue. But it's mm. enthusiast-based, not name-badge-based. A Corolla could come out that surprises us all, and I'm not going to bring the hate because it might be great. That rhymed. Well, yeah, totally. Go back a couple podcasts. We had a Dreaming of Corollas podcast. You can hear us unpack the new IM a little bit, and, and the, 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 that's kind of what it is. It's, it's the old Scion kind of becoming something else. But anyway, I, I'd be curious to drive that car, the new Corolla hatchback. It looks decent. I'm concerned about some of the stats that I see as far as the power-to-weight <laughs> ratio. You decent. But, well, but I mean, but it's a Corolla. It's a Corolla turning your head. When's the last time that happened? It's been a while. Let's be honest. Actually, never so go said back that, to that podcast. Totally. Go back to that podcast and see what you think. We're curious about it as you are. We shall see. I've got a couple of quick uh, which car is better questions here. Mr. President 55 on Instagram says, okay, the, the Corvette. The C7 Z06 prices are coming down, and they're about equivalent to C6 prior generation ZR1s. Which would we have? I'll tell you, the C6 ZR1 is a monster of an engine, but I think it's too much engine for that car. That car is not well enough balanced. Hmm. The C6 Z06 is a fantastic car. Now, if you're going to do an all-day tracking day, you might have some overheating issues. depends on your area. I could also argue that the C7 Z06 is still too much engine, but it is a much better balanced all-around package than the C6 ZR1. I would do the C7. Hmm, interesting. The other one, fast car debate here, is J Doherty 787 needs a cheap daily. It needs to run, fit a couple of kids from time to time, and be reliable, cheap to maintain, and engine note is a major factor. The three he lists at similar prices E36 M3, that is the mid-90s M3, the Golf R32, and the G37 Coupe. 
I think, Jay Doherty, your G37 coupe is the call there. You've got small back seats for kids when you need them. The exhaust notes on those cars were excellent. It's a Japanese car. It will probably cost the least to run, and it's got a solid engine and good handling. I think that is the the most efficient economical call. Mm. All right. All right. I like that. I can see that. Question from Nick Dorn 2.0 on Instagram who says, is there any merit to learning to drive and spending your early driving years without some of the modern driver aids? My first car mm. was an O2 Mustang with five-speed, no traction control, stability control, or ABS. And he says the combination of this analog car and Wisconsin winners on crummy all-season tires taught a lot about car control and managing the inputs. Wow. We are in wholehearted agreement. Absolutely. We highly encourage, as a matter of fact, but it's difficult to get that experience anymore because... Even you know five-year-old used cars have quite a bit of interference and ABS going mm-hmm. on, and you don't quite know if that's you or the car saving you, or if that was you doing that talented you know corner thing, or was that the car kind of trail breaking <laughs> awesome. and you didn't really feel it. <laughs> yes, yeah, we yeah. highly encourage this if you can. It teaches you a lot, but to be honest, you need to understand the car control along with it first because. You know, let's say maybe a driving instruction or a driving school that would focus on things like that and actually address them instead of addressing, let's turn our turn signal on 100 feet before the light and let's start braking Mm -hmm. now and let's wait for the, you know, all the the rules. So you're past that now. You want to take some instruction on here's how the car feels. And then you're going to start noticing the difference between the different platforms. So rear wheel drive, all wheel Mm -hmm. drive, Mm -hmm. all those things and engine placement. You're going to start noticing that more. But I agree. Yes, it has a lot of merit, and there's many of you listening that have had that experience. I remember the car that I had. It had nothing on it, and I could feel the mm-hmm. car. Well, you know, with modern safety technology comes hopefully a drop in insurance prices. It doesn't actually feel like it for <laughs> no. some reason. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, we do agree it's important, but it's admittedly difficult to actually go experience that and find that unless you're going back to... Yeah, even earlier than Mustang. You know, let's go back to the yeah. old Toyota Corollas and wow, Corollas for the win for teaching you the feeling, right? It's accidentally the pod, the Corolla podcast. Who knew? Apparently, uh, Blair Smith wrote an interesting question, and Blair, you've you've backed your way into one of my rants. I don't think I've ranted on this before, but, oh, no. I, but you've backed your way there. He recently drove a BRZ, so I'm glad you liked it. You said you drove it, you thought it was great, and you loved the gearbox feel. And your question is. The notchy mechanical feeling gearbox, you feel like you've heard automotive journalists talk about that being a bad thing. Why on earth you think that a notchy mechanical feeling gearbox is genius? Here's my rant, Blair. There isn't a a standardization. And to be honest, this is to our benefit. But there isn't a standardization to all automotive journalists must learn the following things. And all automotive journalists must know the following terms because they mean blank. Mm, There are a few terms in journalism that... I have read them as positive things and negative things, and it's the same words. Words should have consistent meaning. They just should (laughs) when you have descriptive words. A a lot of times I have read people talking about a notchy gearbox as being a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad term ever for a gearbox. I think you want to be able to feel every notch of the gearbox. You want to be able to slide it between. Look, the, the cliche is the rifle bolt thing, of course. I'm not going there. But actually feeling the mechanics of it as it slides between the various gear slots, I want it to have a notch that is clear to me. If it's just mush down in there, I mean, you've mentioned before, Paul, it's like stirring a bucket of nails. It's like it doesn't ever go anywhere. <laughs> right, what, right. Where's first and third? I've got no idea. I don't have any idea. So having that notchy mechanical feeling I think is brilliant. And you're right. The 86 chassis has a surprisingly good gearbox uh, for its price and just for sports cars in general. Honestly, the 86 gearbox is much better than my Lotus Elise, which is far less specific than the 86 six-speed. I think it's a good thing, but it's a term that I that I feel like gets used wrong a lot. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. I want to get to a question over here from Bob W. on Facebook who's asking about aftermarket mods and design trends. He says, I believe that form okay. follows function. There are many of these trends and mods he just doesn't understand. So what are trends and mods that we find absurd? Well, there's actually many. And let me talk about <laughs> car culture in general. I'll give you an example. The okay. stanced thing, the over-camber, mm-hmm. the negative camber mm-hmm. where you, you're just rolling on the inside shoulder of your tires 
destroying yeah, your yeah. bearings and wheels and tires, you know, early death for all of those parts. And everybody thinks it looks really cool, and I don't understand. Dude, it's slammed. It's slammed, it's though. Danced. It's so slammed. I can't get out of the parking lot, but it's slammed. There is that part of yeah. car culture, and you you know people enjoy that, and you know there's and the drag car racers, loves. there's the yeah. you know yeah, drifters, yeah. on and on and on. So there's all the and it's all valid. It's just mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I don't subscribe to it. I don't really like it. But there are a few things. One of them being the auto start stop function that we've discovered on many modern cars. Oh man, this oh, is not man. an aftermarket mod. This is now becoming a standard thing that I want to break the button off. It's the worst, and I'll tell you why. It's because if you're at a stoplight and the engine dies and you're first at the light, you've got a responsibility mm-hmm. to all the traffic behind you. All those people are waiting for you to really be on it, <laughs> especially at a left turn light, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to L.A. Yeah. And if you get on it and the car stumbles and sputters and then it's on, everybody behind you is going, all right, found the dork, you know, found the idiot. You know, you're, you're <laughs> doing something else besides paying attention to driving. Yeah. It's just become an annoyance. The aftermarket community, sometimes I think they just come up with stuff just so they can sell it. They didn't really think it through. They didn't really mm-hmm. say, wow, that makes the front end look better. No, it actually looks like it got in an accident now, but that's actually what you can buy. You just paint it silver and you're good. It looks mm. <laughs> awful. There's a reason you know, the design team at the car company chose that, and here the aftermarket car company pretty much ruined it. But then, of course, there's anything from the Tesla marketing brief that it, we find... <clears throat> absurd is too strong, laughable, but definitely entertaining. Well, you bring up an interesting point about the Tesla marketing brief. Look, all any time you read the press material of any automotive uh, automotive uh, car maker, I read them and I start laughing at some point during the press material because they say something that is such a reach for a feature <laughs> or aren't we awesome. But Tesla, a Tesla who has plenty to genuinely brag about with their cars – reaches further than most. They have the most flowery, we are the best in the world PR people. I, I'm amazed the stuff leaves as, as high-end as it is. I mean, the, a lot of their stuff has this demeanor of the kid in your class in junior high that bragged so much you wanted them to go away. And, and they have plenty to brag I about. But yeah, the, the, I like that. All the PR stuff, all the PR stuff is massive uh, across the board, but that's what those folks are paid to do. So, okay, all right, there it is. <laughs> Uh, Ace Sound One said, uh, do we find, I love this, do we find that nowadays that we're shooting TV shows, we have to turn down press cars and, uh, and not go to press events because uh, we just can't make it work? Um, no, actually. Uh, the thing, the, the thing <laughs> Despite is... Despite everything going on. Yeah. The, the, there's two things going on. We don't often go to press events because... That we've been invited to a few, and we try to go. And look, we love being invited. We genuinely do. We often aren't invited, and I think one of the reasons that we aren't invited is because what we do does not merge with a press event. Press events, there's actually very little time in the car for automotive journalists during the press event. We, as everyday driver, need to take your car for the next six hours and not be bothered. We need to go shoot it. We right. need to go to a location right. and shoot it. We need it for six hours. There is pretty no, pretty much no press event on the planet that is a six-hour drive with the car. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> You've got a classroom session here and a talk with the engineer You're there lucky. and a luxurious lunch here, and you might get an hour in the car. That isn't useful for the two of us. So press events aren't great. But then the secondary thing is even though we've been doing this a decade and also are on TV, and a lot of the, a lot of the automotive uh, companies, please don't misunderstand me, they're very supportive of us. They know exactly who we are. They like getting us cars, but the – L.A. specifically and the U.S. in general, it's actually the ratio is not good of journalists to press cars, and it's hard to get cars. People we know in both Canada and England have less trouble getting into press cars than we do because there's just more press cars and fewer journalists. And Motor Trend is the big 800-pound gorilla here. Yeah, for sure. Because if they pull the three series, they pull all of them, (laughs) every three series out there. And they return them when they want to. Right. Okay. There's no schedule. So, well, we're not done shooting yet. And so, yeah. Exactly. When you request so one. So, as a result, you're out they of can luck. get whatever they want, and everybody else is fighting for the cars that are left. There have been plenty of times we have chased a specific car for a shoot, 
and the manufacturer wanted us to have it, but our shoot dates, it was impossible to get it. So while I would love to think we are turning cars down, and we will take every one we can get, honestly, we've actually got ways to have more cars coming in, in 2019. Teaser. But, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, we are fighting for every car we get, but we love doing it. All right. There's a question from Jeff H. over on Facebook who is asking about stereotypes and says, do we have any favorites? You know, when you see erratic or annoying driving and you pull up next to the driver to see if they match the image in your mind of who just committed that driving error, right? You know, mm, old guys in hats, a room full of rakes. middle-aged person on the phone. By the way, if you drive with your phone, please find a way to hook up Bluetooth. Please put the handset down. I implore you. I beg you. And then yeah, there's, you agreed. know, teen drivers or really anybody sitting way too close to the wheel because, by the way, that airbag is an explosive explosive device and you're sitting <laughs> way too close Oops. to it. Yeah. Just saying, you know what? The, the biggest thing that I focus on right now, Jeff, is to look at their car and the movements of the car to see if they're going to come in and cut me off mm-hmm. or if, you know, generally they're not paying attention when they're on the phone. But I'll look at the front wheels and you can actually, you know, you're, say, in their rear three-quarter. And they're just ahead of you. So if they came into your lane, you'd be fine. It'd be too close, but you'd be fine. You look at their front wheels, and you can see just the twitch. And you know, you think, here it comes. Mm -hmm. Here it comes. And then there's the turn signal, and then they're coming in. You think, yep, I read your body language, your car body language, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly doing that now and just watching the behavior of cars. And it almost doesn't matter who's driving because sometimes, well, many times, it doesn't match up. I think that's so oh, well, that's a weird person to be doing that stupid thing. I wouldn't have thought that, but, you know, we've all mm. thought that to ourselves. So it's mainly the car motion that I'm looking at now and, and trying to read the, read the room around me. But in this case, it's all cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Discussing stereotypes, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, I've got a question I think we could probably leave it on if you want, and that is Casey Cook asking us kind, not really about dream cars, like big dream cars, but he's saying, what do we, you and me, Paul, what do we see ourselves owning in the next five years? Because oh. you've got the Cayman GTS that you love, and I've got the Lotus Elise that I, I love. Do. He's going, Are, would we get rid of those? Where would we want to go? Casey, here's my thinking. I, I was in the Elise briefly today, actually. It was warm enough. I needed to move it around for some stuff. And, I mean, driving it around in my driveway, I love that car. I mean, that's just how much I have an obsession with it. But I still would love to have an Evora, specifically an Evora 400. In that's a few good. years, those that's will good. be down into somewhat reachable range. And an Evora 400 is a car I would move on to. I would almost do it for the base, the, the standard Evora S. But the 400 is a great car, and that's very me. So I would do that. And then, like, the next level up, like the one that I would love to reach to at some point would be the McLaren 570. Uh, I, I don't know Ooh, that's when good. they will be at a that's place good. to reach for. I don't know. You know, who knows how well the show will do in the next few years. You know, I don't see myself even – it looks. let's say the show is wildly successful. I don't see myself running out and buying quarter-million-dollar cars. I'd love to be wrong there, by the way. But, but you know, I could see a world where the 570S gets down into – that's a stretch, but maybe I'll go anywhere. That <laughs> sure. would be cool. Is that five years away? We'll see. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm thinking about the 911 that I need to own in my life. I've been looking at the 3.2 Carreras. Just, yeah, I, I've been really looking at those closely. They're reachable for I, sure, yeah. I, they are, but I can't reach them at this point. And got the Cayman. I love it. I, I'm also all about McLarens. I'm very much, you know, should it be possible. That's definitely uh, definitely on the list from a driving standpoint. But a 911's got to happen, and ultimately, I'd love it to be a manual GT3, like a 2018 GT3. Ooh. They're really expensive. Ooh. I admit they are yeah, blindingly they are. expensive. I, yeah, but uh, that's but they will come that's down. Certainly on my they list. They will come down, and uh, they seem pretty robust. So that is that's there. Well, guys, we are ending the podcast now with the questions. We are apologizing if we can't get to yours. Please keep writing to There's us. So many We'd good love ones. To, yeah. yeah, so many. We we would love to keep hearing from you. If you've got your own car debate, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or on the website. And mm-hmm. thank you for your support. We are absolutely blown away by your support. It's amazing, honestly. And it just it's yeah. really helped us keep going. And by the way, we're resolute. We are putting this behind us. We've got mm-hmm. the stories now. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept telling you through the whole shoot, anything that would happen. I said, well, at least we've got stories for the podcast. At least we've got a story yeah, to come absolutely. away with. 
Absolutely. We love sharing all of this stuff with you guys. We love sharing our lives with you guys and you guys listening and sharing your lives with us. It's very cool. We are reading all those emails, even if we don't respond. We did read all the questions that were posted, even though we didn't get to all of those. We would welcome your reviews on Amazon for the TV show. That helps that grow and people find it. The mm-hmm. same is true yeah. of this podcast. You rating and reviewing keeps it in the top 10 and helps people find it. So thank you guys for that support as well. Finally, you're hearing episode 350. Thank you, guys. There it was. <laughs> Cheers. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, you will certainly send any text about your supervisor to your supervisor. What's with Janet's bangs? Did she lose a bet with a weed whacker? <laughs> LOL. And sent. Wait, no, 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 no. Truth, it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. Janet, I think my phone was hacked or something. GEICO, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Napa know-how. Right now, you can get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card by mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium Battery. Its durability and power make it the obvious choice for people who hate getting stranded by a dead car battery. So pretty much everyone. The Napa Legend Premium Battery and $20 back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. Limit two per household while supplies last. Offer ends 22819. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. Federal government worker Blake Murray in D.C. says he's pretty much had it with the partial government shutdown. It's pretty demoralizing, um, you know, and I feel like kind of a pawn in a political game and totally powerless. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is asking President Trump to postpone his January 29th State of the Union address, citing security concerns. But Republicans say this is just politics, shutdown politics, a move intended to keep President Trump off the national stage. Going to prison for 20 years, a Tennessee teacher who took a 15-year-old student and ran for weeks. Prosecutor Dan Cochran. I think it's a serious sentence. 20 years is a significant amount of time. He's going to have all that time to think about what he did, the consequences of it. We asked for 30, obviously, but 20 is a very serious sentence, and we feel good about it. An employee and a customer at an IHOP restaurant in Huntsville, Alabama, were killed in a shooting that also injured another employee. I'm Rita Foley.